Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to have everyone here. Did y'all have a good week? Did anybody anybody tell anybody about Jesus this week? You don't just have to do it with your words, right? We can do it with the way that we love our parents, the way we love our brothers and sisters, right? The way that we conduct ourselves. So our words and our actions, they're intimately connected. They're indivisible. You can't take them apart. Do y'all remember that when Jesus told the Pharisees that they were hypocrites? Do you know what a hypocrite is? What's a hypocrite, Liam? Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like the really simple answer is that they're actors. They're people who pretend to be something or someone. So what they would do is that they acted a certain way, but then they did something completely different, that their words and their actions, they didn't connect. So Jesus told them that they were actors, they were hypocrites, and he wished that they would change. Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about Jesus. That's right. We're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for the gift of these children, that they are the future of your bride, the church. And I pray that your spirit, who we sang to and we worship here this morning, as part of that holy trinity God, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally God, that that spirit would be alive in our hearts, that it would exchange the dead hearts that we came into this world with, for that living heart, that living spirit that we're born again by the spirit and the washing of the word, that you would make these people, not just these kids, but anyone here in the presence of this building, anyone within earshot of this message that goes out globally across the world, that they would hear the truth of your word, that Jesus Christ is king, and he alone is worthy of worship. That's the true gospel. And so I pray, Lord, that as that message goes out, that it permeates our hearts, that it changes us, and it brings us from death unto life to your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to read a story for you all this morning. And this may be a story that you've already heard, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. I'm going to take a quick sip of water because my throat is super dry today. All right, here we go. This is Jesus, and he's telling a parable. Jesus spoke to them again in a parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my best livestock, all butchered, everything is ready. Come, please come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants and mistreated them and even killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were unworthy. Therefore, go, exit the main highways, and as many as you find out there, invite them to the wedding banquet. Those servants 
went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, everyone. And the wedding hall was overflowing with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes on? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. See, that story is a story about a big, huge wedding banquet. Do y'all know what that is? Like when two people, a man and a woman, get married, that's their wedding, and then after the ceremony is finished, they throw these huge banquets. They throw these huge banquets in different parts of the world, and people celebrate, and the celebration goes on, and there's music, and there's lots of lots of food, and it's just an awesome sight. But the picture that he's drawing is the wedding banquet that God is going to throw for us when Jesus is married to, who's Jesus going to get married to? Who's us? Everybody who's part of, that's right, the church, his bride. And the only people who get to be part of the church, his bride, are people who are clothed in wedding clothes. That's the righteousness of Christ. And if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then what we're wearing are disgusting, stinky, filthy garments. And it's easy to spot, right? If I was to be wearing a shirt that was all torn and I hadn't taken a shower for months on end, and you guys came up here, you'd all probably be sitting here with your fingers over your noses. Oh, Pastor Kevin, you're stinky. And it would be gross, right? And it was easy for the master of the banquet to be able to identify the people who didn't belong there. And there was one guy, and he said, you got to go. Well, I'm going to read some other things. I want you all to be thinking about garments and words. Garments are our clothing, okay? So as I read these, I want you to think about them, okay? Listen for garments and words. In Isaiah 52.1, it reads, Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, holy city. In Proverbs 31.24, she, it's talking about the bride, the people of God, she, the Proverbs 31 woman, makes linen garments and sells them and supplies merchants with sashes. See, she's making these things, the gospel, and she's exporting the truth, the word, and it's going out into the world. That's what his church, his bride does. Isaiah 61.10, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding, or a bride dressed with her jewels. Zechariah 3, 4. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes, and turning to Yeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these new fine clothes to wear. 
Song of Solomon, 411, Song of Solomon. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. The sweet smell of Lebanon. Job 13.28, man wastes away like something rotten, like a garment eaten by moths. In the book of Revelation 3.18, it says, I counsel you, this is Jesus speaking to the churches, he says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear to cover your shameful nakedness. Revelation 19.6-8. through 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like roaring, rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. And they were shouting, Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear, for the fine linen, what she's wearing, is the righteousnesses of God's holy people, his saints. I'm going to read one last passage of scripture and then we'll be done. See, when we really believe that Jesus is the most important thing, and we realize that apart from him, not just reading the Bible, not just going to church, not just being a good person, whatever that means, but when we truly are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, when we abandon our all unto him, this is what we do with our lives. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, and he's telling more parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he hid it, and then overflowing with joy, he went out, sold everything, and purchased the field. Have you done that? Have you found Jesus? And have you sold everything? Have you abandoned your whole life unto him? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding that one pearl of immeasurable value, he went and sold all he had, and he bought it. See, what happened at the cross is that they took Jesus, and they stripped off all of his clothes. Did you all know that? And he was naked because they wanted to try to shame him. See, to be naked in front of a bunch of other people, it would be really embarrassing, wouldn't it? And so Jesus had all of his clothes ripped off, and they wanted to shame him, but he's God. And he doesn't need clothes. What he has that comes out of him in his very being is his glory, his righteousness, his perfection as the spotless lamb the eternal son. And see what we did when we stripped off Jesus' clothes and we nailed him to the cross to shame him, what he demonstrated is that we're really the ones who are wearing the shame. And he revealed his glory that the king of eternity would die for us even though we want to shame him and disgrace him. And in his death, he actually brings us salvation and eternal life but we have to abandon our all. 
We have to buy that treasure in the field and give Jesus everything. Jesus' last words, he was up there on the cross. He'd been there for hours and hours and hours, six hours, tormented, ridiculed, mocked, stripped, everyone trying to shame him, bearing the weight of all sin of all time for every person who would ever live. In Jesus' last words, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he says, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. And with that, Jesus gave up his last. I want to ask you a question today. Is there anything that's more important than Jesus? Is there anything in the whole world, millions of dollars, a super-duper education, a Nintendo Switch? There's nothing more important than Jesus. And see, if we really believe that, remember we said that our words and our actions have to be indivisible. They can't be separated from one another. And so I want to challenge you kiddos, is that when you go out into the world, even when you go and you sit down in your pews and you're hanging around other kids the rest of today, are your actions and your words going to tell everyone that Jesus means more than anything? Because if it's true, then he promises that we'll have eternal life in him. We get to exchange our filthy garments for the perfect righteousness of Christ, that robe of glory. Amen? Amen. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of today. Our debt is paid, amen? Y'all are less than convincing. Our debt is paid! That was better. Our debt is paid. Goodness gracious. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our debt is paid through you at the cross of Calvary. It's just awesome. A debt that we could never pay. That you came down, stepped into this world, took that debt for all people, all time, upon yourself, your perfect righteousness. And instead of condemning us to eternal torment that we deserve for our rebellion and rejection of you and your word, that instead, in and through you, the bread of life, the truth, the life and the way, that when we abandon unto you, that we have eternal life. We love you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Unstoppable love, that's what our God has for us. That's what our God has for us. I don't know, are y'all, is it, what, did we have like a time change? Is it spring forward or something? Well, I wanted, before we dive into the sermon, what I wanted to tell y'all today is the reason why I'm wearing this shirt. Many of you commented on it before the service is that it should bring you great comfort and security. Not because there's hamburgers and milkshake, not comfort food, but no pastor who's looking for another job comes on Sunday dressed like this. 
So you should be absolutely confident and secure. Say, we know Pastor Kevin's not looking anywhere. He's not planning on going anywhere. Amen? Amen. I'm not. I love my family here in poetry. Poetry is vivid. It's imagery, and we're in Psalm 107. Poetry is supposed to capture your heart, your mind, your nefesh, your very will, your soul. It's supposed to capture it. And in the end, because the whole book of Psalms, songs is what it produces in us, is what? Song. Let us sing. That's the name of this entire sermon series in Psalms. Let us sing. And I want to ask you, is that what's happening in your life? Y'all are absolutely less than overwhelming this morning. Come on. Is that what's, everybody's looking at me. Is that what's happening in your life? I'm expecting a response from you. Don't defer to someone else. Maybe the person behind me will answer for me. Maybe someone else will say yes. That crazy Pentecostal person. Is that what's happening in your life? If it's not, don't be a hypocrite and say so. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're saying, that's not happening in my life, it's okay. You could say no. You can say no. But see, the, the, the Apostle Paul, what he said is examine yourselves, test yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. It's not about how much time you spend reading the Bible. My wife this week got something in the mail. And on the outside, it was very crafty, right? Someone looked like that they had written a handwritten note. She opened it up, and it was from those Jehovah Witnesses. And as she read through it, she was saying, you know, on the surface, it doesn't look bad. It's talking about the Bible and spending time in it, but it didn't say anything about Jesus and abandoning unto him. It's not just about the what we do. It's not even about the how we do. It's about the why we do. But that's not even the most important thing. It's the who at the very center of all reality. That Father, Son, and Spirit, God of eternal trinity, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Mormons, and several other Christian cults, they reject Jesus as the eternal word. And so when they send you these things and you say, well, it doesn't look half bad on the outside, that's because Satan poses as an angel of light and he wants to lure you in. And then once he has you, he closes his jaws on you and he holds you tight in his grasp. But do you know what? God's love, his unstoppable love, what he does is he pries the fingers of the enemy open with his love. And he sets us free. That was better. That was better. It's the truth of who he is in his word. It's not just about the external stuff. All of that wasn't even in my notes. That's all bonus. Are you dancing in the kitchen? Are you? Don't just say yes. Are you dancing in the kitchen? Are you singing in the shower? Not just the eagles, not just to whatever the latest country or pop or rock stuff is, but are you singing, hallelujah, 
Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Are you? Or is that just what you do on Sunday? Because that's what these other people expect. And Jesus said to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you hypocrites. And he didn't say it in condescending language. He said it with a broken heart. I want you to know me. I stepped down from heaven. I was born in a manger. I'm going to the cross at your hands. I'm going to pray to the Father that he would forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. And on the outside, the cup looks clean, but on the inside, it's disgusting. Are you? Are you? Are you spending time with your kids? Are you teaching them? Are you training them up in the way that is Jesus? Are you telling them about his kessed love, his covenant loyalty that you know firsthand, not just teaching them stories in the Bible. Well, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. He was swallowed. Isn't that a fun story? Noah was on an ark, and there was lots of water, lots of cute animals. We should name a daycare that. It was God's wrath poured out on humanity. And there was one way, the ark that represents Christ. One door, and you're either in or you're out. Are you abandoned unto him? Are you? Did you find the treasure in the field and say it's worth everything? I'm going to sell it all. My car, my collection, my home, everything. There's nothing that I won't give up for you, Lord Jesus. See, because if that's not how you feel about it, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And see, no one is going to catch what you have inside of you if it's a lie. That's why the world today looks at us and they say, I don't want any part of that. Those Christians. Those Christians. On their Facebook posts and their blogs and all of the hatred that they have, soldiers, homosexuals, it's all sin. It's all sin, folks. Don't take a pet project and say, I'm going to hang my hat on that. We're all sinners. You don't have to sit at the back. All of us, we're all sinners. We're redeemed in Christ, and we no longer have to have that identity. See, he was nailed to the cross for us. Is your old identity as a sinner, is it nailed up there? Is it? Is it nailed up there? Are you dead in those baptismal waters? See, because if you're not, today is a new day. His mercies are fresh and new every morning. Amen? I think y'all are getting on track. I think we're getting it. I have a, one of my favorite quotes guy named Robert E. Coleman. Something's missing in the life of the church today. I hope no one would say that about our family. I hope no one would say that when they come here and say, eh, it was okay, but something was missing. I hope that when people come here that they say there was nothing missing. I've never experienced anything like that before. The truth of the word preached unashamedly, no filed down to edges. Just the full, blunt force of God's glory. 
something's missing in the life of the church today. Today's institution has a polite form of religion. It's nice. It's nice. But it seems to lack power, the power to radically change the wayward course of society. It's not just on me, folks. If you consider yourself part of the bride, the church, that onus, the ownership, is on you. Did you live that out this week? Did you sing? Did you share the truth of the gospel and the intimate connection between your words and your deeds? Or did your life look more like that of a Pharisee, a hypocrite, an actor, a charlatan? Scripture has a lot to say about fools. Has a lot to say about it. Proverbs 1.7, we did a whole series, I think it was four or five weeks long, about just this one passage back in January of 2019. And if you want to go back and you want to listen to that, it's on our website, poetrybaptist.com. A little shameless plug there for our website. The fear of Yahweh is the genesis. It's the beginning, right? It's the very onset, the inception of not just knowledge, not just how many PhDs you have, but that word in Hebrew, knowledge, means intimate knowledge. Is God designed for a husband and a wife? And we'll leave it at that. Intimacy, life skill, Wisdom, it's not just Confucius fortune cookie with the lotto numbers on the backs or back as I call it, the tax on the dumb. It's true wisdom, life skill. That word hokman has to do with being an artisan, a craftsman, someone who is so skilled. Have you ever seen someone who does something that you're just blown away? Wow. A sculptor, a painter, a writer, an artist, someone that you just look at what they do. Maybe it's someone who fixes bumpers. Maybe it's someone who builds homes. Maybe it's someone who reupholsters or paints pews. Maybe it's someone who loves their wife. Maybe it's a wife who loves their husband, and they're an artist at it. The fear of Yahweh is the genesis of intimacy, life skill, and correction. But you know what? Fools despise. Fools despise what? All of it. Dot, dot, dot. Fools despise. And that's how it ends in the Hebrew. It just ends. It says fools despise. They despise all those things because why? Because they're from Yahweh. And if I despise Yahweh, if I despise the Lord God, if I despise Jesus, then anything that comes from him, I'm going to deny that he exists I'm going to reject him. I don't want his sweet goodness, his tobe. I don't want his covenant loyalty. I don't want anything to do with him. And what that says in Scripture over and over and over again is that what we do is we take these garments of foolishness, our filthy rags, our self-righteousness, and we wrap it up tight. That's what fools do. I'm going to read some passages of Scripture from Proverbs about fools. 
I'm going to ask you guys in the back to help me out with these. Proverbs 10.8. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. As we go through these, not all of them are going to be up on the screen because I didn't have that much time to make individual slides. But I want you to listen. What's the theme? What's the connection point? What's the thread that goes through every single one of these? Fools are equated with what? Proverbs 10.14, the mouth of a fool invites ruin. 10.18, lying lips spread slander. That's a fool. 10.21, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. Proverbs 12.23, a fool's heart blurts out folly. 14.3, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride. 14.7, stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. 15.2, back up on the slide up here. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not upright. 15.14, the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. 17.7, eloquent lips are unsuited to godless fools. 17.10, a rebuke, correction, impacts a discerning person more than a hundred lashes upon a fool. 17.28, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. Y'all see any of that on Facebook this week? The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. 18.7, the mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. 20, verse 3. Every fool is quick to quarrel, 24-7. Wisdom is too high for fools. In the assembly at the gate, they must not open their mouths. 26-9. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. 26-11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. And the last slide, the last one. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, keep your hand on your mouth. What's the common theme? What's the thread? Fools and their, and their mouths. Fools and their mouths. And if you didn't see that, that's okay. Go back and listen again to the sermon once it's posted. Go back and listen to it again. I want you to look up at that slide. If you're listening, you can't see this, but it's the, a slide with the big, huge word, fools. What do fools do? Start. I want everyone in here to yell out two or three of those words, okay? I want everyone to yell it out. Ready, set, go. One more time. What do fools do? 
They complain, they grumble, they spew, they moan, they prattle, they bellyache, they spread rumors. It's their mouths. And so I want to ask you again, this isn't condemnation from a pastor or your pastor. It's not me just pointing a finger. It's asking a probative question. See, because Proverbs 1-7, that last of the three things, says that the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord, it's about three things. Intimacy with God, it's about life skill, and it's about correction. Were you a fool this week? Did you run off at the mouth? Did any of those words up there define you? Complain. Gab, lie, whine, fuss, moan, criticize, babble. Nearly every mention of fools in the book of Proverbs connects directly with the mouth. And the mouth, the fruit of it, is our words. Words become our garments. They're what we don, what we put on. We can either have garments of righteousness that is the word. We can be robed in the righteousness of Christ, the eternal son, the lamb of God who went to the cross. Or we can be clothed as fools, our sin. Y'all ever think about the fact that when we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, the book of Ephesians, we often think of the imagery of what kind of clothing the armor of, y'all aren't helping me out much at all. The armor of God. This is an interactive thing. That's the way I like to do it, okay? So once in a while, a big amen. Yeah, pastor, bring it. Preach it. Or you can just sit there and dream about the hamburger and milkshake on my shirt. We don't always need Battle armor, though, right? We don't always need battle armor. We do in a sense, in a spiritual sense. We always want to have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We want to have the, the, the shield that extinguishes the, the flaming arrows of the enemy. We want to have the sword of the spirit. We want to have the gospel on our feet, ready to go. We want to have it all. We want to have the armor of God. But it's not just always about that kind of armor, See, if we're perfectly clothed in the righteousness of Christ, sometimes we're clothed in patience. Because our God is a patient God, isn't he? Sometimes we're clothed in peace when the world around us is turned upside down and everyone's running around like chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And you're sitting there over off to the side I'm not buying into it. When the report came back in the book of Numbers about the giants in the land of Canaan and how they were grasshoppers, Caleb said, shut up. Shut up. And then the, the Joshua and Caleb were like, y'all are wrong. Caleb stood up and he said, we should go and do it. But the others, what it says in Scripture is that they went and they spread false reports. They were trying to get everybody riled up, and it worked. And the punishment that brought upon themselves 
was the fact that they got to wander in the desert for 40 years. And once God said, that's your punishment, they said, you know what, we changed our minds. See, when God said go, they said no. And when God said don't go, they said let's go. Is that you in your life? When God says go, you say, not right now, God. I don't want to go to the wedding banquet. I got some other stuff I got to take care of. Sunday morning's a little bit tough to gather together. I got some other things going on. I got some other priorities. I got some excuses filed in my back pocket. Are we clothed in compassion and kindness? Are we clothed with encouragement and joy? Perfectly suited in the word for every circumstance and every situation. That's what we have in Christ. Do we sell everything to buy the field? Do we? Or do we dabble? Do we yada? Do we abandon unto Yahweh? Do we? Do we abandon our sinking ships, the ones that were stuck in our sin, and dive unreservedly, not into a cult, not into a lie, not into someone posing as an angel of light that's really the angel of darkness, the serpent who causes us to step into folly and sin. The little phrase from the, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. Are we like fools clothed in the folly of words and deeds that are decaying and perishing? We've got to give an account, folks. We've got to give an account. And see, anything that's not centered in, that's focused on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that's not why we're doing what we're doing, what it says is Scripture that all those things are going to burn away like chaff. How much of your life is going to remain? How much? Psalm 107. I put these slides together. Some of you have been asking, say, Pastor, I love your interpretation. I love your translation of Scripture. It's more poetic. I spent a lot of time in this. So I'm not just throwing this out there, being that sketchy guy. It's like I did research. I looked at the Hebrew. I dug. I connected it. I made sure that I didn't put any word up there that wasn't connected somewhere, some, somehow, in all of Scripture. Psalm 107, verse 1. Abandon unto Yahweh for sweet goodness. His covenantal love is everlasting. Verse 2. Y'all can help me out on this. Let the redeemed of Yahweh declare. Do y'all see the words? I want you to pay attention to the words. The encouragement from God, not just to abandon ourselves unto him, but what it is that he wants us to do, that our words and our actions intimately connected. Let the redeemed of Yahweh, that's the Lord, declare he has redeemed them from the clutches of the enemy. Is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? Verse 3. And he has gathered them from throughout the earth, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south, from the east as far as where the sun rises to the west, as far as where it sets. In the Hebrew mind, I don't know what goes beyond that. 
from the north, the place of invaders and exile, all the way to the south, as far as we know, the sea that goes on. They didn't have the, the privilege and the blessing of technology and satellites. But they, what it's trying to communicate in poetic language is from every point on the compass, from as far as we could possibly be in our sin, spread all across the earth. God's love is covenant love. It pursues us, it redeems us, and it gathers us. Verse 4. They, that's us, wandered in the desolate wastelands finding no way to a city to thrive within. Verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their appetite overwhelmed them. And in their trouble, they cried out to Yahweh. He delivered them out of their dire straits, those narrow places, those tight spots, the jams that we get ourselves into because of turning our back to God and pursuing our own things. He led them by the pleasing way so they might go into the city as a place to dwell. There we go. Abandoned unto Yahweh for his covenantal love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. That's the second time we've heard it. What's the imperative command? This is the interactive part. This is the interactive part. Abandon! And what does that mean? Does that mean we just kind of go over to the edge of the pool and we... All in. Can y'all say that with me? I want to... All in. Abandon, yada unto Yahweh. Not dabble, not a fake religion on Sundays, not playing the game, not being churchy, not being a hypocrite, but being all in for Christ. Do y'all remember the story in the New Testament, the people that were doing the miracles and casting out demons, prophesying, even doing it in Jesus' name? Lord, Lord. Jesus said, away from me, you workers of iniquity, you evil people. I never knew you. See, if our lives and our hearts haven't truly been born again by the Spirit, all of the superficial good things that we do are burned up. For he satisfies the parched throat, fills the famished good gut with sweet goodness. They sat in darkness. That's what God does, but what we do, even though he delivers us to our, his front door, the new Jerusalem, what we do is we choose instead to go and pursue the things of the world, to go and to sit in darkness. Yeah, church was great. That was swell. But I hope we go eat somewhere afterwards you're never going to be satisfied. When the woman at the well came to Jesus and he said, can I have a drink? What are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink because the water that I give as the fount of every blessing, 
You'd never, ever be thirsty again. And three hours later, she was like, I got to go back to the well. He's not talking about a physical thirst. See, when you find Jesus, when you buy the field, you give up everything, you're not going to pursue anything else. You're not going to find satisfaction over in Mormonism. Oh, I think that's better. You're not going to go and find it with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You're not going to go and find it over in Catholicism. That's going to be a stuffy, dry, boring ritual. You're not. You're going to find it exclusively in Christ who went to the cross for our sin. And we can play it on Sunday and we can pretend during the week we can truly yada, abandon unto Yahweh. Verse 11. Because they rebelled against the word of God. Are you following it? Word. Word. Fools reject, but those who love God pursue hard after his word. Because they rebelled against the word of God and despised his counsel of the Most High, Therefore, he humbled their hearts with brutal labor. They collapsed, and no one provided aid. And in their torment, that's the same word in Hebrew as the adversary, the foe, sar. It's the same word. In their torment, in their misery, in the clutches of the enemy, the adversary, they cried out to Yahweh, the Lord God. And what did he do? What did he do? He delivered. Have you been delivered? See, because the people who have say, yes. And the people who haven't go, what was was the question? Have you been delivered? You've been taken from death to life. And you get to step in. You get to become part of his eternal bride, the new Jerusalem. He delivered them out of their dire straits. Verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the world of dread, and he broke their chains apart. Amen? Verse 15. Abandoned unto Yahweh the third time for his covenantal love and his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam. That's all of us. It's not just Israel. It's everyone, all humanity. For he has demolished the bronze gates and sliced through the bars of iron. That was all just prep work. We begin in verse 17 today. So if you're just now tuning in, you didn't really miss anything. You missed a lot. But it's good, it's good. Verse 17 begins, fools! Do you remember all the, all the groundwork that we did about fools? Fools in their mouths, fools in their words, fools in what they're clothed in, their garments of foolishness and death and stench. Fools were brought low because of their rebellion and their sinful ways. What are those things? Their words. What do your words look like? Are you glorifying Christ in and through your words and with the life song that you sing? Jesus, it's all for you. I'm abandoned unto you. The apostle Paul was able to say, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Throw me in prison, stone me, 
You can crucify me upside down. Do whatever you want because for me to live is Christ and to die, to die is gain. I can't lose. Is that how you feel in your life? Did you feel defeated this week? Did you find yourself in those dire straits, in those tight spots, in those jams? And you said, I got to finagle. I got to work on some things. I got to manipulate some stuff. I got to do this over here with that one and hold the bunny ears over here and kind of tie this over here together. And then I'm going to kind of juggle some stuff around so I can get, oh, just like that. Oh, I got to hold it together. Isn't that exhausting? Or we can just be patient and wait on the Lord and abide in Christ and know that because God our Father the eternal son, the spirit who dwells within us, that he only desires sweet goodness for us that we can never lose. Doesn't that fill your heart? Doesn't that take care of that appetite that can never be quenched? That gut that can never be filled? Doesn't it take care of that? Fools were brought low because of their rebellion and their sinful ways. Verse 18 their throats aboard all manner of food. Jesus came and he said, I'm the bread of life. And how did the Pharisees respond? They aboard all manner of food from God. We don't want to hear what you've got to say. We don't want to hear that noise about you being the king, about you being Messiah. If you're not a military ruler, if you're not going to take care of Rome, then you're trash. We don't need you. You're not the kind of Messiah and king that we wanted. I didn't vote for you, Jesus, servant. It's not what I need. What I need is somebody that's going to go over there and punch Caesar in the face. Give him a good roundhouse kick upside the head. Take him out. Reestablish. Put us back on top. And then we'll show those Gentiles. We'll show those Romans how to do it. They abhorred all manner of food. They rejected Christ. And what they did is that they stretched out, they grasped a hold of the gates of death. If you've ever had little kids and they've been in the kitchen and you say, don't go near the cooktop, don't touch the stove, what do they want to do? They want to touch it. They want to reach out and they want to grab it. God gave us his word and he said, don't. He was in the garden and he said, don't. Jesus came and he said, don't. And what do we do? Seize the fruit. Reject God. Send the eternal son to the cross. Strip all of his flesh off and all of his clothing to shame him. And he hung up there on the cross, his blood being poured out for our sins. And instead of mocking us and shaming us, what he did is he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And instead of into the hands of the sar, the enemy, the foe, he said, Father, into your hand. I entrust my spirit. Not my will, but your will be done. Verse 19. And in their trouble, in their misery, again, that word sar, the same as enemy and foe, they cried out to Yahweh. And he did what again? He delivered them again out of their dire straits. Verse 20. He sent what? He sent his word. 
not just the, the pages, not just the scroll, not just the prophets to say it. He sent his son. He sent Jesus Christ, which means king. He sent the eternal king. Jesus said, Father, here I am, send me. The lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Before we'd ever rebelled, before we were ever created. He said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll endure the cross for the joy set before me because Jason is going to be there one day. Tanya's going to be, Christine's going to be there. Vincent, Sue, Kathy and Frank, Brittany and Kyle, John, Amber, Brian, Robert. Abandoned unto him. Abandoned unto him. He sent his word and he healed them. He made them whole. And he did what? He delivered them again. It's not a new group. It's the same group. Because the whole theme of Psalm 107 is God's kessed love, his covenantal love that is over and over and over again. There is no length to which he will not go to pursue you, to seize your nefesh, your heart, your will, your soul, your mind, to grab a hold of it and say, stop pursuing mammon, the garbage of the world. It's not about your education. It's not about the new electronic things. It's not about the girl or the boy. It's not about the job. It's not about the promotion. It's not about winning the lottery. Jesus is the eternal lottery. He's the treasure in the field. And when you find him and you go out and you sell everything that you've got because that is the most important thing. He delivered them from their pitfalls. Verse 21. Here it is again. Fourth time. I'm a little slow. I'm a little thick. It took me 35 years. 35 years to abandon unto Yahweh. But when... I finally got it after he pursued and pursued and pursued. And I finally gave him my life at the age of 35. I said, from this day forward, Jesus, like the man who bought the field, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, even if it's to a little insignificant church in the middle of nowhere to preach the truth of the gospel to people who need to hear that need to be brought from death unto life, I'll go. I'll go. Abandon unto Yahweh for his covenantal love, his extravagant works unto the descendants of Adam, all of us. In our last verse for today, we're going to cut it off at 22. Let them slaughter. That sounds kind of brutal. But see, you have to tie it back in. This is what I'm saying is that I don't round off the corners. I don't file it down. I don't want it to not be offensive to little kids or people. Slaughter, that's a horrible word. You go back to Leviticus 7 and you see what the todah, not the yada, but the todah, the thanksgiving offering is, is that you're so thankful to God, your free will offering unto him, Is it what you do and you make this lavish feast that is so big, so huge with cakes and animals that you've got to invite everybody like that wedding banquet that we talked about at the beginning. You invite them to the banquet and then when everybody's there, 
That's how we know that the ancient Israelites were good Baptists because they had potluck Sundays, right? No, I'm just kidding. They had this lavish feast, this huge banquet, and they invited all their friends. And now that you've got a captive audience, what are you going to talk about? How about them boys? Yep. Did you see the new truck out there? Yep. I got the one with the upgraded engine and whatnot. Yep. Yep. I was out there in the back 40 this week. Yes, I was. Yes, that's what I was doing. How about you? How about you, Bill? I was good. Yep. Yeah, I was doing, you know, it was over there and that thing over there, you know. Yeah. Or do you tell them about Jesus Christ, the eternal king? And you say, you know what? I just want to tell you something. I just want to tell you something. He delivered me from the hand of the enemy. He pried his fingers open. And even though I was holding on to the gates of death and crying out, he still demonstrated his kessed love over and over again, wave after wave of uncompromising, unstoppable love. And I finally gave in. I said, because Jesus, if you're not real, nothing else matters. Not a successful business, not my house, not my kids, not whether or not they win a soccer championship. How does that compare to the eternal glory and the robe of righteousness that he went to the cross to give to you? Let them slaughter the sacrifices for the Todah and to recount with your mouth to recount his works in joyful song. Did you sing this week? Were you one of those superficial Christians with the fish on your bumper sticker on your car? Maybe your Easter cross, he is risen, is still in your front yard from last year or earlier this year? Or did you proclaim the gospel? Did you abandon unto Yahweh? The whole name of this sermon series is Let Us Sing, and I just want to ask you, is there a song in your heart? You don't have to answer to me. But see, we're not going to fool Jesus. We either give him our all, we either abandon unto him, abandon those sinking ships of sin and we get to wrap ourselves in the perfect righteousness of Christ or we can go down forever in our sin. So during this time of invitation, it's nothing formal. It's an invitation and a response. What did you hear from God? How did he press upon your heart? There's nothing magical about coming up here and praying. Nobody's sitting there with a pencil and a pad. How many did we have come up? Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's worried about whether or not you're going to go. See, the response is between you and him. Between you and the God-man who went to that cross, who is willing to be shamed to reveal his glory. What's going to stop you from responding?
How will you respond? Early this morning, I had finished all of my sermon prep and my prayer time, calling out to God, if you don't show up, just like I do every week, this is going to be an epic fail, because people don't need to hear from me, they need to hear from you. Connor asked me if I would make him some oatmeal cereal, and I was a little frustrated. Ugh, I don't really want to make you oatmeal. It's going to take time. Go pour yourself some Cheerios. The Cheerios are out. Fine, I'll make you some cereal, some oatmeal. So I made Connor some oatmeal. He was gone in his room for a few minutes, and he came back. See if I can make it through this. Dear Daddy, you are the best dad I could ever have. I love you to the moon and back. Oh, and it's not Father's Day, but I want you to have this anyway. Love, Connor. And after he gave me a big hug, he said, hang on a second, Dad, that's not the whole thing. Turn it over. So I turned it over, and he said there's 51 hearts, one for every year that you've been alive. I know it's not your birthday. I know it's not Father's Day. See, that last part, that idea of recounting, recounting to others that produces a joyful song in your heart, it looks like this. It's not having an annual Bible reading plan that's stuffy and stale and boring. It's not about formal religion, polite religion that's dead on the inside. It's not about being a Pharisee. It's about your love letter with your life back to our Father, thanking Him for sending the Son, bringing us from death to life. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you so much. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, set a fire in our hearts. Help us not to be content with what other people think our relationship with you should be like. Help us to follow your path, your way, your lead, that we would capture that vision that you've given to us as a church, a spirit-led church, not a deacon-led church, not an elder-led church, not even a pastor-led church, not even a congregationally-led church, because all of those are human beings, riddled with sin, flawed, unfaithful, but your spirit, the parakletos, the comforter, the teacher, perfect, spirit-led church, revealing Christ through unity and worship. Let's go out and live that love story this week. Amen? Let's all stand and sing. Let's stand together and sing.